You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Children of God, get ready. Are you ready? I mean, you are children of God. Every last one of you. And I don't want to go one word further than to let, before I let you know, three things that are very important. That God made you. He created you and knows you intimately. And that God loves you very deeply. And that God wants to live inside of you. I want you to know that, children of God, all of you, to know who you are. Well, I'm, I'm excited for where we're headed today, for what we're up to. And yet I know that we're all on a journey of rediscovery, are we not right now? A journey of rediscovering what normal looks like. Do we like this normal? Yes. A rediscovery of, of even what routine looks like. It makes us evaluate the routine, routines we've had for a while routines that we're now developing, do we want those to be the same? And I'm hearing a lot from folks about changing jobs, about moving homes, about what do I want to do with my life? In fact, I don't know how many times over the last month or so I've heard, you know, I thought by now I'd have my life together. (laughs) Are you feeling this a bit? Some of this reflection of thinking, you know, I should be of a certain age where I know what I want to do with my life, and yet still we wonder what that looks like. What does this routine, what does this life look like? You look in the mirror and you think, I I should have some of these issues resolved. They should be behind me, but yet we're still facing them. Well, here's a picture of it. Take a look at this guy, see if this doesn't feel like you in life right now. This is me getting my life together. You know, all we want to do is just kind of get some zip in our step, you know, get on that high line of life, and suddenly we just find ourselves dragging and sagging along the ground because we're just trying to put our life together. You know, it's like we're trying to get to the fires of work or the fires out in the world And yet the fires at home are burning where we can't even get to those at work, right? Maybe like this guy trying to get his life together. A garden hose spraying around the corner at the fire in his truck. Can't even get to work because of what's burning at home. I don't know how you picture your life right now. If you picture it as being together, some of you might say, well, yeah, I've had my life together. I know what that's like. And it was a beautiful 45 seconds. (laughs) Loved it. Enjoyed it. (laughs) But how do we hang on to it? How do we cling to it? Getting our lives together. What I offer you over the next few weeks is a look at my friend. An unvarnished disciple. We're going to take an unvarnished look at what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Who we are at our core. And that word... Unvarnished is kind of an unusual one. Unadorned. You know, without polish. Where we are and who we are at our core, at our natural state of being. And my friend lives up to unvarnished in several senses. Not 
not hiding who he thinks he is. Very stark, very straightforward, candid, direct. Unvarnished truth is going to come from the lips of my friend that I want to tell you about today. He's a solid one. He's the kind of person that you're drawn to. You want to be around. And it's kind of mixed. A lot of times you're drawn to this individual because, well, what they say makes sense. They're trustworthy. It's down to earth. They're very persuasive. There's also a draw to this person that's kind of frightening. Like, I don't want to be on this person's bad side. Like, I want to be behind him because I don't want to be in front of him. I might get attacked. I mean, this person is one that people gather around and want to be friends with because they respect and trust him. And the story that I want to tell you about my friend is a story that was, oh, about a 24, 36-hour period in his life that changed his life, set his boat on a whole new course, really and truly altered his existence going forward. And it was a time when he met another lion. Do you have people in your life that are like this? They're like rams or bears or lions. This guy is that kind of person. And he met another lion. Now when we watch two lions square off, it's kind of scary for us. I mean, it looks like a brawl. It looks like something that we don't want to be involved in. But then it's almost like they just need to get some things out put some things on the table, and settle things. And there's something of a mutual respect. Maybe there's a winner, one that comes out clear on top, but there's a mutual respect between these two lions about what's going to happen and how things are going to be. I know something about being a lion myself. I am the king of sprinkled donuts. <laughs> no, not those kind of donuts. I prefer blueberry cake donuts. I took the family last weekend uh, down to Carlsbad, and we stayed at super nice resort. It was the Carlsbad RV Park. <laughs> One room cabin, all four of us, and we're there with the kids. Well, I say kids. Is it fair to call a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old kids? Okay, well, I'll call them kids, but they're not kids. Well, we went to the pool. Again, this fancy pool that had large sprinkled donut floaties. <laughs> so I got in one of these sprinkled donut floaties and just minding my own business like a dad does. And what do my two children want to do? Dunk me. Yeah, throw me out of there. So they come like lions themselves. They're trying to sh you know, splash water on me, flip this sprinkled donut over, and I'm just staying put. They can't get me out. They go back and conspire, and they come at me at different directions, and they jump in, and 15, 20 minutes, they can't get me out of my sprinkled donut. So I just gave it to them. Took it off, slid it, and gave it time for me just to be with Donna, to be away. And then I thought, you know, I kind of want that sprinkled donut back. Because they each had a sprinkled donut floaty. And so I went in the first try, boom, 19-year-old Nathan, psh, cashed out in the water. 16-year-old Lizzie, first try, she's out of the sprinkled donut, and I have two. I'm the king of sprinkled donut floaties. Okay, now that's not, that's not about this lion. 
this lion meets another lion and squares off. This guy was a fisherman. Spent his whole life near the water. All of his friends were fishermen. All of his family were fishermen. He was the kind of guy, even though the business might not have been his, everybody looked to him for guidance. Now, this fisherman lion met another lion, the Lion of Judah, a carpenter lion. Fishermen, carpenters, different kinds of people. Carpenters are given to the smell of sawdust, to precision. They measure twice and they cut once. They know what it means to take a rough surface and make it smooth, to, to join together pieces of wood into a corner, to plane out the rough edges. They're people of precision and people probably in the shade or the shop. Fishermen, they have to make quick decisions. They're rough around the edges. They've long ago given up smelling good. Smooth hands, uh-uh, not going to happen. They deal with knives and hooks and rope burns. Now, they have to make quick decisions because the fish are on the move. They're going somewhere. You have to go. You have to find them. Rip them out of their natural environment of the water and bring them up to air. And in these times, there were no flash freezers, no refrigerated trucks. So if your client, if your company, if your people that are buying your fish want fish, you got to provide it. You can't pull it out of the fridge. You got to know where they are and you got to go get them quickly. Now, when a fisherman and a carpenter meet, we've got a lot to learn from because these are people that work normal jobs. They know what it's like to live in the fam in the life of hard knocks and to learn from their mistakes. So, one living in the sun, one living in the shade, we are struck by the authority of the one lion that calls another lion. The story that we're going to look at today is going to be in Mark 1, and I want to give you a little bit of background to what happens in this 24 to 36 hour period. What's happened is that the lion of Judah, this carpenter, comes to this fisherman and says, come follow me. And he immediately gives up life on a rocking boat, gives up life chasing fish to follow the Lion of Judah. And his name, Simon, who follows Jesus, the Lion of Judah, Simon takes him to his hometown, takes him into his house, to his home synagogue. And Jesus there is commanding authority even in the teaching. People listen to him and they're like, this guy is not like our normal ones. He's not like our trained experts. He's more authoritative. In fact, people speak up in the midst of the, this sermon in the synagogue. An evil spirit prompts someone and Jesus silences it. He tells evil to shut up. Peter takes him home, and this is where we get to our story. Peter, who's gathered all of his friends, taken Jesus to his home church, now brings him into his home. So we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 1, and if you would stand with me, I'm going to read starting in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with fever, and they told him about her at once. 
And he came to her, took her by the hand, lifted her up. The fever left her, and she began serving them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around at the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up. He went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Simon and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came to do. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of Mark. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So this is a story that takes place after church. Jesus shows up to Simon's home and finds out that in his extended family, homes included a lot of people, his mother-in-law was sick. And so Jesus adds to his list of authoritative acts a physical healing. He instantly removes the fever and she gets up and begins serving him. What no woman would have done on the Sabbath, she does out of excitement begins serving and feeding him. A true disciple that sees beyond that boundary of the Sabbath to actually be able to serve him. Now, this is pretty exciting for Peter. Someone who's been on the water, now he's on the land with a new career change. He begins to see, okay, this, this is, we got something going on special here. The guy that I'm following, this is the real deal. At sundown, Everyone shows up at Peter's door. They wait till after the Sabbath, but all the sick from the neighboring towns, they're all there being healed by Jesus into the night. And Peter begins to click. He begins to think, okay, this is it. We can open up a hospital, a healing center. No more fishing. Let's do a hospital. Or maybe a teaching center. His teaching is profound. You know, I could take that bait shop out back and turn it into a wood shop if he needs to do some stuff with wood. Peter's mind is running with what can be done. Jesus runs off. In the night, while everyone's asleep, long day teaching, long day commanding people to change their jobs, long day healing into the night, he disappears to go be alone with God in prayer. Now I want you to make special note of that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But the Son of God, the Messiah, King Lion Jesus, goes off to be with God. It's a note for us. It's a message for us. Well, Peter gets up, and no one can find Jesus. They go to where they last saw him, at Peter's house. He's not there. Peter, of course, organizes the search party. Peter, of course, is able to find Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and this is the moment when the lions face off for the first time. You know, it's not so much a face-off as much as it is very confusing. Because Peter says, everyone's looking for you. And you heard what Jesus said. Let's go on to the next town so that I can preach, because that's why I came. 
Now, we don't get Peter's response. We don't get his verbal response. But we're right there with him, completely confused. What do you mean? Leave. We just got here. What was it you said to me, Jesus, that we're supposed to be doing? Fishing for people? That's what I did. I brought my whole family. I brought all my friends. I've left my job. I brought you into my house. I've got plans for a hospital, a teaching center, something. What do you mean, leave? I thought I'm doing what you want me to do. Have you been there before? Saying, God, you know, I'm doing my part. Uh, When are you going to show up? I mean, I'm doing what I think that you're asking me to do, God. And what do you mean, change the plan? I thought it was all about people. And so the lions don't really face off. We don't get Peter's or Simon's response to Jesus verbally, but we know what he did, don't we? He went. He went. He stuck with Jesus. And he went to the next town. We know that. That Simon or Simeon or Barjona, this guy that Peter re, that Jesus renamed Peter or Cephas, meaning Rocky, left and went with Jesus. That great name that has to bring a chuckle or a smile, but references the stability and the dependability of this lion named Peter, who becomes the preeminent disciple, the one who's always mentioned first, the preeminent apostle, the one who is close to Jesus for the duration, someone who's not a follower at all. He's a leader. But he's learning what it is to follow Jesus by coming behind Jesus, this person of strong conviction. And what do we take from all this? This entry into my friend and yours, Simon Peter. Well, I'm struck by two things. And the first is the overwhelming authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus is something that that you and I have to confront, all of us, whether or not we're Christians Even if we're outsiders, we have to decide what we're going to do with the authority of Jesus. And you might hold Jesus at a distance, but if you look at this story, evil spirits are calling him the Holy One of God. Experts who've been listening to experts call him the most amazing teacher they've ever heard. People leave their careers and follow him. People jump up from fevers being released and they serve him. Jesus' authority is one that commands authority of our lives. Simon is not the star of this story. He's not the lead lion. In fact, the Gospel of Mark is most likely written because of what was overheard from Peter. Did you know that? The sermons of Peter, the stories of Peter, that's what Mark wrote down and put together into this story. And you know that Peter is not making himself the hero of this story. He's able to put in the digs that are on him as he tells Mark what really happened. This is who I am. This is the same Peter who can, in 2 Peter chapter 1, say, I am a servant of Jesus. I am a sent one of Jesus. I am one as strong as I might appear that is 
following closely behind Jesus. And we have that same thing in front of us. Will we be the kind of people here at First Christian who are being in the presence of Jesus? Who are doing, copying the things that Jesus did? Saying the things that Jesus said? And, like Peter, going into those new places that Jesus calls us to go to. That's how Peter is able to write in 2 Peter 1, that I have received this faith from Jesus. It's been given to me. I have received this righteousness of God. It's not mine. It's from God, my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have to think about whether or not we're going to follow. Here at First Christian, we kind of dare people to just come along with us. We don't have it all together. We're a lot like Peter. But we are inviting you into this journey of following Jesus and being close to Jesus trusting and relying upon Jesus. Well, that's one thing. We are going to be confronted with the authority of Jesus. We have to decide. We have a choice to make about whether or not we will follow Jesus. And the second thing is how ready we are for change. And this applies to every one of us. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. We have to be ready for change and transformation. Because following Jesus is sometimes hard to keep up with. We have to cling on to him. We don't always know where he's going. And it's a recognition that our lives are always a work in progress. When we let Jesus lead, we're putting ourselves in line for some very steady change. We're always being confronted and always being challenged. And it's not always a sudden transformation. We don't, like Peter, suddenly get the fish smell off of us. It doesn't go away. Jesus didn't heal and cure everyone in Simon's town, did he? He went on to the next town. He didn't leave everyone cured and healed because that transformation comes from the inside to the outside where God's pressing against who we think we are and what we think we know about who he is challenging us on the front of work or of career or of the opinions that we hold, of the beliefs that we think that we stand on, of the things that we think that we understand and know about Jesus. You see, if you think you need to fit Jesus into your norm, you're not following Jesus. If you think you need Jesus to vote like you, you're not following Jesus. If you need to have Jesus hold your doctrines or your philosophy of life, you're not following Jesus. You're not allowing for the change that must come. Folks, we got to be ready for our sprinkled donuts to be flipped over. My time is coming. Nathan's a lot bigger than me. We have to be ready for what we hold to be true to be thrown aside. Because some of these changes that we're planning that we get all worked up about, maybe about job or marriage or family or moving to a new state, these type things, these changes, we really have to ask ourselves, is this something I'm pushing on through? Or is this a change that I'm uncomfortable with 
because God is causing me to see this world and to see my life in a new way. The source of Jesus' ability to be able to lead in this way was his time spent in prayer, in interactive relationship with God. That is also true of us. If we're going to find our source of strength, it's going to be this move from public to private. Jesus never used prayer as an excuse not to serve. He was always ready to serve. But there was a move in and out, a pervasive prayer that was in his service and also in his relationship with God. Because Jesus was very much settled into the reign of God. And he's showing us, he's teaching us what it is for us to be settled down into that reign. To not be worried about what's going on around us. To not be worried about fulfilling our plans for our own lives, but to be settled into God's plan for us. And as I hinted at earlier, at first Christian, it means being in the presence of Jesus. And that happens here, doesn't it? And can't you sense it? That coming together in worship, seeing one another's faces, knowing what we can pray for, being encouraged from song and scripture, these are ways that we are being in the presence of Jesus that extend and spread through our whole week. Doing the things Jesus did means saying some amazing things about when God heals. It means running away from evil. The evil that's in our life and the evil that is around us where we flee evil and say no to evil. It means speaking the things Jesus spoke the good news about the reign of God that's come to our life and come to this entire world that people want to enter. It means going where Jesus leads. Out of our comfort zone, into towns that are not our hometown, synagogues that are filled with people that are not our home people, into the world where Jesus is there waiting for us, calling us forward to be with him. Simon Peter gives me hope. And he's going to be given all of us hope over these next several weeks. He gives me hope because he was unvarnished in his faith in who was the real lion. And he was willing to cling to Jesus in trust. And he constantly learned that lesson that change is the norm. <laughs> that change, especially in our lives, of what God's doing in our heart is something that we should expect. Let's pray. God, thank you for these stories about people who have followed you. And I thank you that they're not all cleaned up. That they struggle and they stumble and they slip into the water just like us. Father, help us. Help us to learn from Peter because of how he learned from Jesus, so that we too can imitate the life of your Son, that we too can be breathed on with the breath of your Spirit, and that we can walk with confidence into a crazy future because it's not so crazy with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.